0: If you've been with us for the past several Wednesdays, Pastor Mark's been going over purpose. He's been going over a wonderful series called Cheese and Giants that if you missed any of it, get online and capture it. Because it has been truly incredible going through the early stages of David's life and how he embodied a life of purpose. Let me get some highlights of that because tonight is going to be a little bit of an extension um, some of the highlights from Cheese and Giants is that David shows us that the pasture prepares us for the palace. If we remember that David was a shepherd boy, he was the youngest of eight brothers. He was the grunt, he was the little guy, he was in the, in the pasture. Now, I can relate to that a little bit. I have an older brother, six years older than me, who is a pastor. So he cast a very big shadow. Um, And he's six years older, and so we did, growing up, the things that brothers do, boxing, wrestling, um, tug-of-war. You know, I got beat up a lot. I got beat up a lot. He's 18. I'm 12. It's not fair. I can kind of relate to David being at the bottom of that pile. But in that pasture prepared David for the palace. It was in the pasture that he learned the skills, the attitude, the characteristics that The king needed to have later on. So that's one highlight. Another highlight um, from Pastor Mark's series is that we don't need to play the comparison game. This is something that we struggle with as humans, that we like to compare ourselves to others. We like to compare our purpose to someone else's purpose. And that is not the way that God intends. That things that I'm supposed to do may not be things that you're supposed to do. And we don't need to compare purposes. God has each one of us our own special individual purpose. And the last highlight kind of connects to the other two is that we learned that purpose is always in the present. Purpose is a right now kind of thing. Purpose is not to be concerned with 10 years from now or next week. Our purpose is right now. Our purpose is right here. This is where we should be concerned with. Now, all of this, again, I want to extend this a little bit further into David's life, but I need to establish a couple of things. I need to establish David as a runner, a person who runs a lot. Now, when I was in high school and even into college, I tried to believe that I was a runner. Um, I tried to pretend that I could do the things that runners do, you know, marathons and stuff. I was in one race and only one race. Um, I won't go into too much detail, but I I was in Alaska for a summer and it was a four mile beach race and it was awful. It was, it was the worst thing ever. (laughs) It was, it was no good. I found out quickly, I am not a runner, especially on the beach. But David is. If we think back to David and his most popular, most famous battle with Goliath, David did something extraordinary. He ran towards Goliath, which amazes me. He ran towards him. And then after that, David spends a lot of his life running from Saul. Now, he was not running from God. He was not running from his purpose. God's design was for him to run from Saul in the right way. So David is accustomed to to running. But I want us to pick up in 1 Samuel 23 and kind of kind of keep that all in the back of your mind. I've got to build a little foundation here. 1 Samuel 23, we're going to start in verse verse six and in verse six, little background of this is David has been running. He's been running from Saul and he came across this city called Keilah. And Keilah was an Israelite city that was being attacked by the Philistines. And so David inquires of God. He runs to God, and he says, God, should I attack Keilah? Should I help him? And God says, yes. But David's men were a little more wary. They were a little more hesitant, and they say, are you sure? So David runs again to God and says, can I attack Keilah? And God says, yes. Yes. But here in verse 6, something crucial happens that we need to see. In verse 6, it says that now it happened when Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, fled to David at Keilah, that he went down with an ephod in his hand. Let me build a little bit more foundation. Abiathar was a priest of God, and right before this, 85 priests had been wiped out. They had helped out David. They had given him some bread, given him some weapons. Saul heard about it and thought that it was this big conspiracy, so Saul killed him. Eighty-five men of God. Abiathar made it out. He made it out of that slaughter, and the one thing he grabbed was the ephod. Now, let me explain what an ephod is. It was a, a linen vest, a garment that the priests wore. Um, you can just jot down We won't turn there Exodus 28 Verses 6 through 14 I think it is And it describes what the ephod looks like But I'll just summarize The ephod was a fine vest With a front and a back And it, was, it had gold and silver and, Or scarlet and blue and purple All throughout it And it had two spots On the shoulder blades The, the shoulder pads Where two stones went And on one stone, there were six tribes of Israel, their names. And on the other stone, there were the other six tribes of Israel, their names. And they went in these little slots on the shoulders. Now, the symbolism of the ephod was that the priest wore it to communicate with God. And he was the middleman. He wore the people on his shoulders. Because they didn't have access. This is this is Old Testament times. The veil was not born was not um, torn yet, so the priest had to go and communicate with God, and he did it on behalf of the people. So he had their names on his shoulders. So that's what Abiathar grabbed was this vest used to communicate with God. David hears about it here in verse uh, 1 Samuel 23, and in verse nine, let's look at. Where David finds out about it. When David knew that Saul plotted evil against him, he said to Abiathar the priest, Bring the ephod here. Then David said, O Lord God of Israel, your servant has certainly heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city for my sake. Will the men of Keilah deliver me into his hand? Will Saul come down as his servant has heard? O Lord God of Israel, I pray, tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will come down. This is a conversation between God and David wearing the ephod. So two things that we've established that will help us move forward is that David is a runner. And in this case, David runs to God with the ephod, with the communal vest to talk to God. Okay? Okay. Now, let's get on to kind of the, the main point here. Flip over to 1 Samuel 27. And let me fill in the blanks of 24, 25, and 26. In those chapters, David continues following after God. He's running from Saul, but running to God. And, and he has two opportunities to kill Saul, Saul the king of Israel. Two opportunities where he's standing over Saul with a weapon and has every right and every enablement to kill Saul. But David knew that that was not the way. David knew that that would short-circuit his purpose. That that's not God's way for him to take out the Lord's anointed. So David is following after God. But we have a turn here. And so the purpose of, of the message tonight is to see three dangers that indicate maybe we've lost our purpose. David has been right there, the man after God's own heart. heart. And in 1 Samuel 27, marks the turn. Here's, Here's some dangers to show that we've lost our purpose. 1 Samuel 27, And David said... And David said, and David said in his heart, now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. Point number one, if you've lost your purpose, look at what you're saying. Now, this is a point that Pastor Mark brings up a lot, and here we see it fleshed out. That David says, now earlier, it says that David spoke to Goliath. Remember that battle. David spoke at Goliath to Goliath and said, I'm going to chop your head off because you've been defiling God. But now David sings a different tune. David says, Saul's going to get me someday. So our first point is that your another way to put it would be your legs are always going to follow your lips. What your lips say is where your legs are going to go. David starts right off the bat. He says it. Saul's going to get me someday. Keep on going. There is nothing better for me than that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. And Saul will despair of me to seek me anymore in any part of Israel. So I shall escape out of his hand. So he makes a plan. I'm going to go to the land of the Philistines. Verse two. Then David arose and went over with the 600 men who were with him to Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. This is one of the most mind boggling things. Let me talk about Gath. Not only is David speaking that Saul's going to get him, but look at where his lips lead his legs. He goes to Gath. If you know anything about Gath, this is the hometown of Goliath. This is where Goliath came from. The champion, the warrior that David killed, chopped his head off. He's going there. He's going to Gath. This marks a regression. Pastor Mark said at the very last, um, the la- very last uh, message of the Cheese and Giants, that when David put down the sling in the stone and picked up the sword and chopped off Goliath's head, that that was a new season. That the boy, the shepherd boy, was no more. And now David the man had come out. But this marks a regression. He's supposed to go past Goliath. And now he's going to Goliath's town. Goliath's town. And this is not the way that our God works. Our God does not work with regression. If if you've been at Anchor Faith for any time, you know that one of our core values is that we are always advancing. We are always moving forward. Our God is a God of progress. And David is going to Gath as a sign of regression. Before David had been speaking to Goliath, speaking at him. Now he's listening to him. Now he's going to where he grew up. So he's going to hear the things that Goliath heard. This is a regression. And it gets even crazier. Verse 3, so David dwelt with Achish at Gath, he and his men, each man with his household, and David with his two wives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess and Abigail the Carmelitess, Nabal's widow. And it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, so he sought him no more. Side note, it worked. David's little plan worked. But look at where he's at enemy territory in gath keep on going then david said to achish if i have now found favor in your eyes let them give me a place in some town in the country that i may dwell there for why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you so achish gave him ziklag that day therefore ziklag has belonged to the kings of judah to this day David's a country boy. He grew up in little old Bethlehem, grew up on a farm. So he gets over there in Gath, and he's not pleased with the city. So he asks, "Can I have a nice place in the county?" And so they give him Ziklag. And what is set up here is a straight-up imitation. It looks like it should be good. So point number two. If point number one. Was that our legs are always going to follow our lips. Point number two is that be wary of paradise when it comes to your purpose. Because paradise can sabotage your purpose. And what I mean by that is that Ziklag looks like paradise. This is a city that David is now the leader over. He's now the ruler of Ziklag This little old city But this is a shadow And a copy of God's will For David's life David has been anointed the king of Israel David has been, has been Planned by God Told by God You're going to rule over Not a city You're going to rule over a nation And David here is settling For a city You see what I mean This is a shadow and a copy, and this is just the way the enemy works. You know, the devil hasn't come up with anything new since the the creation of the world. He's been using the same old tricks and the same old tactics. He takes something that's real, and he twists it and makes it false. He takes a truth, and he makes it into a lie. Same thing's happening here. The truth is, is that David is the anointed king of Israel the twist the lie is he's just the ruler of ziklag it's a settlement it's an imitation okay so don't allow a perceived paradise to sabotage your purpose so david's in his little kingdom here and let's flip over to chapter 30 first samuel 30 and again let me fill in 28 and 29 28 and 29 and 27 included are the silent chapters of David. What happens is, is David is living in Ziklag and not even one time, not even one time does the name of the Lord pass David's lips. No mention of him praying. No mention of God's name. David, who's been running his whole life, running with purpose, running to God, has been running from God for three chapters of the word. And in this little expanse, David does get into a little pickle where Philistine is the enemy country and they're at war with Israel. And David finds himself right in a battle against Israel where he's in the battle lines for the Philistines. And it looks like he's going to have to kill the very people he was anointed to lead. But um, to, to make it short, God gets him out of it. Praise God that when we are faithful, he is still when we are faithless, he is still faithful. Praise God that when we're doing off on our own stupid stuff, God can get us out of jams. That's what happens with David is that he finds himself in Philistine battle lines and they pull him out and they say, you don't belong here. Go back to Ziklag. So that's why he, he was away from Ziklag for these few chapters, and we, we pick up with him on chapter 30, coming back to Ziklag. But something's happened while he's been away. 1 Samuel 30, verse 1. Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag. So they're coming back because they were at that battle. On the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south, and Ziklag... And attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city and there it was burned with fire and their wives, their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him. Lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep, and David's two wives, Ahinoam the Jezreelite, and Abigail the widow of Nabal the Carmelite, had been taken captive. David had been away from Ziklag. When he comes back, there is no Ziklag left. The little city that he was supposed to rule over, it's not there. It had been attacked by another enemy, and all of the women, and all of the children all of the stuff had been taken away. Third point for us to gather. A third danger that will show that you're off your purpose. Is that the path of today affects the people of tomorrow. That the choices we make today are going to affect the people around us tomorrow. Our purpose is never just about us. Our purpose is bigger than us. So here, David had been running from God for three chapters, not saying the name of the Lord, not calling on God at all. And now his two wives taken captive. All of the wives and children of the men he was with taken captive. The city burned. I love this verse six, the first part. Now, David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. (laughs) I I want us to get a picture of this because we're coming on one of the most poignant, one of the most emotional filled scenes in David's life, perhaps the whole Bible. They come back to Ziklag There's Smoke Billowing from buildings There's ash in the air You can smell the smoldering buildings The only thing you can hear is Wood Crackling There's no children playing There's no women to greet them There's nothing It's a ruined city I can just picture David walking up to his house. The doors busted in. Some of his stuff's on the ground. Signs of a struggle. His wife's nowhere to be found. And I can see David turn over to look at his men, the men he had been with, the men he had been fighting with. And they got stones in their hands. And they're looking at the stones and they're looking at him. And they're on the verge of killing him. They're on the verge of killing the anointed king of God. Look what comes next. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Next verse. Then David said to Abiathar the priest, the Himelech son. I can just picture David looking at the men... With the stones in their hands He's probably got tears in his eyes And he lets out a big old sigh (sighs) Please bring me the ephod It's time to go back Bring me the ephod And Abiathar brought the ephod To David This marks the turn back For three chapters There's been no mention of an ephod There's been no mention of God It's been running away If we keep on going So David inquired of the Lord saying Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered Pursue For you shall surely overtake them And without fail Recover all David puts on the ephod Speaks to God And again God is faithful God speaks back God speaks back So it's pretty straight to the point Tonight I don't know where you're at I don't know What burdens you're carrying You know we came from The cheese and giant series and that may have been, hopefully it was, so encouraging and so empowering. And maybe you're realizing your pasture. Maybe you're realizing that the place where you're at right now is the place where you're supposed to be. And there are things that you are doing that God is preparing you for the next step. Or maybe you're beyond that and you're in the palace. Maybe you're looking back and think, wow, God has just prepared me for this. And God has been working Or maybe you're in this third camp. You're like David, and you're looking around, and things are burning, and things are falling apart. And <laughs> you've got to ask where's the ephod? Where? Where's the last place that God told me to go? Because that's where I need to go. Where's the last place that I was supposed to be? The last thing that I was supposed to do? So going back to to running. Hebrews chapter 12 and we'll we'll wrap up with this. I was thinking about running and it, running is one of those one of those few things in this entire world that it is impossible, 100% impossible to do by accident. You cannot accidentally run OK, so if you see somebody running on the side of the road, I challenge you. Stop them. Stop them next time. Don't be a weirdo, but stop them. OK, and ask them, hey, why are you running? And they're going to be able to give you an answer. Oh, I'm running for health or I'm running for exercise or I'm running from the dragon that's behind me. You know, there's a purpose to running. You they you can't ask a person, why are you running? And they'll, they won't say, you know, I didn't know. I didn't realize I was doing that. My. Silly me, my bad. No, running is intentional. Running is purposeful. So in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, we see, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. So this applies to us. um, The writer of Hebrews is speaking to us, New Testament believers, that we have people watching us. You have kids, you have family members, you have coworkers, you have people in Walmart that are watching you. David had that great cloud of witnesses. His men had the stones in their hands and they were looking at him. We have this great cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. For some, this may be pride. This may be money. This may be popularity. Whatever. Excuse me that you need to let go of might be holding you back for David. It was fear. And I don't like giving Rebecca credit, but it's an excellent song choice because fear is what David was holding on to. What did he say back at the beginning of first Samuel 27? And David said, Saul's going to get me someday. It was fear. Fear drove David away from his purpose. Whatever it is that's holding you back, you got to cast it off. And here comes, here comes the clincher. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Running is intentional. Running does not. There's a, there's a common misconception with this verse. Running does not mean living. Now, walking means living. Pastor Mark mentions this a, a good bit. Walking can be translated to living. We are to walk by faith means we are to live by faith. We are to walk in love means we are to to live by love. Okay, but living doesn't work here because let us live with endurance. I mean, I'm looking around. I'm seeing a lot of people living, hopefully, but I'm not seeing anybody running. Living just means you're existing. You're just there. Running is something you have to intentionally do. It doesn't just happen. It's something you can't do by accident. So not everybody is running their race. I think about Paul in the end of Second Timothy when he says, "I have fought the fight, I have fought the fight, I have run the race." Not everybody can say that. Some people are just living; they're not running. So I leave us with this: is that first off, we need to make for sure that we are in our purpose. We've got to be careful with what we're saying. We've got to be careful with where we are. And we've got to be careful with who we're affecting. But also, we've got to be running, guys. We've got to run. It doesn't happen by accident. We have to set in our minds to run.